Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're tuned to the Steve Donahue Show on CPL Radio, your one-stop daily source for Steve's take on the world of books. And now your host, the book critic who literally reads everything, Steve Donahue. Greetings, fellow patrons of the Cedarburg Public Library, and welcome back to the Steve Donahue Show, where we talk about bookish news, views, and reviews with wild abandon. <laughs> and today is Friday, and as always, Friday gets me thinking about the changing nature of this day in our society, especially in the 21st century. Time was, for a long time in American society, Friday signaled the beginning of the weekend. You would go to work, you would phone it in, <laughs> you would get out as fast as possible, and then you could look forward to two whole days of unstructured time, where for most of the decades that I'm talking about, it would have been absolutely forbidden for even the most overstepping office manager or boss of any kind to contact you in any way during that weekend. It was widely regarded as your time. And the bookish people out there always took a little bit of extra relish in imagining the free time for reading that the weekend would give them. Uh, and something of that attitude still remains. Even now in 2020, when we all live in the crumbling ruins of a thwarted and failed gig economy, when every single person in America is working 10 jobs and it's not enough, and everyone is available at all times, 24 hours a day, to anyone, bosses, colleagues, underlings, they all have your cell phone number, they can all reach you at any time. But instincts die hard. The, that old characterization of Fridays dies hard. I always feel it, even though for myself, it's almost never been true. Uh, long before there was a gig economy, I was a gig worker. I am a freelance writer. <laughs> so Fridays don't have any inherent meaning for me. Weekends are perfectly fine for work. Anytime is perfectly fine for work. Even so, I have spent just enough time in the retail world to still think of Fridays that way as a time for impending relaxation, even though in my own case that isn't going to happen. I'm going to work 
I'm going to write for eight hours every day on Saturday and Sunday, the way I write for eight hours every day, every other day. <laughs> uh, but it's also going to be a chance to think ahead for reading, what the reading is going to be like. Now, my reading is more extensive than most people's. It's pretty much all I do. And there's a large component of that that absolutely does not change. And that component is new and forthcoming releases in the American book market. Probably to a greater extent than most other working book critics, I keep abreast of those new and forthcoming releases in a large number of genres. And I do that weekdays and weekends. A large amount of this coming weekend's reading will be devoted to that kind of reading, to biographies and military histories and novels and science fiction works that are coming up in September and October and on my docket for this weekend, one from November. But since all I do is read, <laughs> I don't do anything else, and since I read fairly fast, that still leaves a lot of time and a lot of leeway for books that aren't new forthcoming releases in the American book market. One of those bits of reading that I'll be doing this weekend is preordained. It feels eternal at this point. I am slogging my way through for the second time. I am slogging my way through the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, those of you who aren't maybe immediately aware of these, it's a series, it's a long open-ended fantasy series and each volume is well over a thousand pages long. And there are three volumes. And the reason why I'm slogging through it is connected with new releases in the American book market because the fourth book in that series comes out this autumn. And I want to have the characters and the world building and the nature of it all and the terminology more or less at my fingertips when I read that fourth book in hopes of reviewing it somewhere. Uh, so that that is definitely on the weekend's plans in addition to those forthcoming books. But in addition to all of that, that still leaves me some reading time starting right now, <laughs> starting as soon as, uh, as soon as my producer puts this episode as he puts it to bed. Uh, and some of that extra reading that I'm going to do this weekend is going to be exploratory, <laughs> which is always lots of fun. It's always fun to explore and find authors that you're not aware of who may be really good and, and worth your time and are just flying under the radar. Now, one of the easiest ways for authors who are really good to fly under your radar is if they self-publish. A far greater number of people are self-publishing now than ever have in the past. Self-publishing has lost all of the stigma that once attached to it. It once upon a time was restricted to vanity presses who would print up for a certain fee a box of really nice hardcovers of whatever ridiculous piece of tripe you had written in your spare time, and you would foist it on friends and relatives and never, that, never hear about it again. That would be the end of it. Self-publishing in the 21st century has taken a completely different shape. It is entirely professional. It has racked up a large number of very wealthy authors, and largely because it has consciously sought to erase the distinction between those old, somewhat pathetic vanity presses and mainstream traditional book publishing. Self-published books have ISBNs. Self-published books are distributed on all of the venues that distribute electronic books, and the readership of electronic books has skyrocketed in the last 10 years, skyrocketed. People are less and less intimidated by the whole process of getting a book, downloading it onto their device of choice, and reading it. And that process has certainly helped because one of the devices of choice is a cell phone. And every single human being on Earth has a cell phone and is well accustomed to using it. They know how to use it. They, they are comfortable 
pulling it out of a pocket at a rest stop, on a subway, on a commute, uh, on a back porch, and spending some time reading it. And plenty of people who are comfortable doing that have learned what a barren procedure it is to use that time just doom-scrolling through various time-wasting apps. It, I'm no Puritan, and I can see the worth in a spot on Twitter or a stroll through Instagram as much as anybody else can. But in very limited doses, it is very bad for you in extended doses. And a lot of people who spend time on their electronic devices are realizing that, and also realizing that there is a perfectly, a perfectly healthy alternative, which is reading. Good old-fashioned reading, everybody's old friend, reading, does not need to happen in a printed book. The experience of reading a book on a technological device, whether it's a cell phone or a dedicated e-reader with e-ink, black and white e-ink, or my own personal favorite, a color tablet of some kind or other, whether it's an iPad or a full-size Nook or Kindle, uh, that experience is functionally no different for most of the people who engage in it. There are revanchist cranks, who say, oh, no, I, I can't read on a screen. Oh, no, I absolutely can't do that. It, it, defy, it, it soils the sanctity of the printed book. But they are in an extreme minority. Their minority is only exceeded by the minority of people who don't like to use electronic devices at all. Finding someone today who doesn't have a cell phone, doesn't have an email account, who is never online, is finding a genuine stop-the-conversation-and-note-it oddity. And... Just one rung above that are the people who just absolutely refuse to do any reading of any kind on those devices, those omnipresent touchscreen electronic devices. There are people who just on principle refuse to do any reading on them, but they are, their numbers are dwindling with every year, of course, uh, because the experience of reading a book on one of those devices doesn't have any of the drawbacks that originally were envisioned. It, reading is still every bit as immersive on a screen as it is on a printed page. And as a result, uh, there's a huge amount of it that happens. I believe a huge amount more of it that happens than is tracked by any of the relatively few agencies that set about trying to track such things. I think people, just ordinary, everyday people who never answer a survey or never part of a study, do an enormous amount of reading online. And even if I'm wrong about that, I certainly do an enormous amount of reading online. And that has acquainted me with the world of self-publishing. There's no way to avoid it. I, uh, not only because the number of authors who self-publish has increased so exponentially, but because mainstream published books online, e-books of mainstream published titles, are sinfully expensive. They are as expensive, or sometimes in weird, unexplainable cases, more expensive than the already overpriced printed versions that are in brick-and-mortar bookstores. It's a natural draw on many levels <laughs> to, to just go into exploring the electro the world of electronic books. And that exploring is part of what I will be doing in my reading time this weekend. I will be exploring the world, as I have been for a while, the world of self-published authors, uh, of the authors out there who have a dream. They have a project that has been burning inside them, and all they want is what writers always want, which is to reach a reading audience. That's all they want is to reach a reading audience. Now, for the last 200 years, let's say just for convenience sake, taking into account modern or relatively modern technology, for the last 200 years, there was a way to do that. Precisely one way to do that. The old Vanity Press way wouldn't do that. 
you would get a box of books and it would get the, the the distribution to the extent that you could hand it out to people. But that's all. Every once in a while, someone who had one of those old Vanity Press titles made would have the sheer chutzpah to mail it to the book section editor of their local newspaper and, and sort of sideways ask if maybe it could be reviewed. No book section editor in the world would give much coveted review space to a book that isn't actually available for anybody to buy. But you can't fault people for dreaming. Modern self-published authors are in a totally different ballgame. It's true that their books will never appear on new release tables at a bookstore. That will never happen. That is the one thing that will never happen. But Everybody has an electronic device in their pocket at all times in the 21st century. And every one of those electronic devices has access to book reading apps. The Barnes & Noble Nook app, the Amazon Kindle app, the iBookstore app, all of them distribute self-published ebooks. So every one of those self-published ebooks is the manifestation of a dream that once upon a time was denied to those authors. Once upon a time, if those authors wanted to take a route where they reached an audience, they knew perfectly well the old Vanity Press route wasn't going to do it, and that left them only one way to go, which is to work on their manuscript, have it edited, send it off to an agent or an editor at a publishing house, and hope for the best. <sighs> which is just about the same odds as grace any salmon trying to swim upstream to spawn. <laughs> it's just about the same number of aspirants who actually succeed. Most of them get very tired along the way, or meet with the publishing industry, the publishing world's equivalent of ravenous grizzly bears that just swat them out of the air or, or eat them whole right into the mouth. Most of those authors didn't get anywhere because the mainstream publishing industry is geared to gatekeep. It is geared to refuse that opportunity, not grant it. If you were lucky enough to be staying with relatives of yours at Montauk and you went down to the end of the driveway and it just so happens that the mailbox at the end of your driveway is right next to the mailbox at the end of the next house and so one morning you happen to meet a publisher or a publicist or an editor's agent or whatever down there at the end of the mailbox and you got to chatting about how you're writing a book and they'd say, oh, well, you know, when you get into town, drop me a line. If you were lucky enough to have that happen, well, then your book might get published. If your, your manuscript was lucky enough to get pulled at random out of a slush pile by some overworked publicist or editor, or an, even an agent who do a lot of the gatekeeping nowadays, it doesn't even get as far as the publisher. If you were lucky enough to be pulled out of that pile, you might get a shot. Conservatively speaking, in terms of the people who have dreams of reaching an audience with their work, as opposed to the people who do, the ratio, conservatively speaking, was one out of 100. I myself think the ratio is closer to one out of a thousand. A lot of these self-published authors in the 21st century looked at that ratio and said, if there's any other way, I'll take it. You'd have to be crazy to spend huge amounts of time, money, and psychic energy working on a system that is so obviously geared to keep you out. And <laughs> the self-publishing industry has given them exactly that route. These authors can reach an audience. Of course, they have to do all the work themselves. They have to do the work of the publicity department at a, a normal publishing house. They have to do the work of a marketing department at a normal publishing house. They have to do the work of the makeup and mock-up department at a publishing house. The art department, they have to come up with their own cover art. They have to study what cover art is effective and what cover art isn't. They have to come up with their own marketing schemes, maybe a, a, 
a little brief window where your work is free just to whet the appetite of readers and then they'll come back and buy the work. They have to slowly build an audience of loyal readers and work constantly to expand that. They can't sleep on their projects at all in a way that old style aspiring authors could if they got their sweetheart deal at Random House or Simon & Schuster. Then after that, most of the work of getting that book to an audience was in the hands of other people and they could sleep a little. Not literally. Although authors tend to do an ungodly amount of literal sleeping, they could figuratively sleep a little. They could get to work on the luxury of thinking about drafting and then writing their next book because they didn't have to think about the rest of it. Somebody else was paid to think about the rest of that. If you're a self-published author, none of that is true. You have to think about all of that all the time or your book will die. It will wither on the vine. It will still exist. It will still have an ISBN. It will still have a price. It will still once upon a time have been on an electronic bookstore with cover art that anyone can see. But... It won't succeed. It won't make it past those grizzlies. It won't spawn. Uh, and as pretty much anyone outside the mainstream publishing industry could have expected, a large number of people rose to that challenge and continue to every day. And so there's a profusion of titles to look at. Now, once upon a time, the profusion in the publishing industry seemed dispiriting enough Someone in my position as, for instance, a critic who is interested in keeping abreast of the whole of the American market would look at the size of that market and think, oh, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way at all in America alone. Maybe 100,000 titles that aren't textbooks or tax manuals or car guides or whatever. 100,000 titles, far more than anyone can keep abreast of. You could still hope, but the numbers were so staggering that it was best not to think about them. Those numbers have only gotten infinitely worse now in the heyday of self-publishing because now... Anywhere you look, there are a thousand books lined up for your attention, a thousand of them in any direction, in any splinter niche that you happen to read in. I know all this, and it can get depressing, <laughs> but it's also thrilling when you think about it. It's also thrilling. All those stories out there that had no way to reach the light of public day, even 30 years ago, are now out there, and they now exist as books. Not Vanity Project books, but books that you can actually buy, books that the author can actually make a living off. Books that can reach an audience. Book where, books where you can talk with other readers about that same book. I love that world. The numbers are discouraging, I admit, but I love that world. And I periodically go exploring in it. Now, one of the easiest ways to do that that has a, a high profile is a program called Kindle Unlimited, which is offered through Amazon's Kindle. Amazon is, of course, the foremost publisher of ebooks, including a gigantic army of self-published authors. And they have a service called M, uh, Kindle Unlimited, where if you sign up for it and pay, you get access to well over a million titles, ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and you can have 10 of those titles at a time. No dues, no overdue fees, no limit, no time limit. No one's, no one's saying, okay, you've had this for two weeks, you'd have it for years if you wanted to. But you can only have 10 at a time. So once you max out your 10, the only way you can get a new book added to that Kindle Unlimited is to get rid of your older ones. It's uh, a fairly good program, but as a, as a critic, as a lifelong reader and owner of books, I kind of like a little bit more freedom than that, a little bit more flexibility than that. And you might think, well, you can have your flexibility, but you have to pay for it. Uh, that's not entirely true. <laughs> even if you abandon Kindle Unlimited, I have it, I still use it, but even if you go around it, if you don't consider Kindle Unlimited and the extra fee that it costs... There are still options. Even if we stick to Amazon, there are still options. If you go to Amazon and you go to books 
And then in books, you select the category that you want to read. Let's say you want to read a Western. So you would go to fiction. And then the drop-down menu for fiction would have every single kind of fiction imaginable, every single kind of genre and subgenre imaginable. If you go to one of those genres, and then you fine-tune that, when you go to that, that genre, let's say Western, there'll be a drop-down menu, even for, for Westerns, that will give you a whole bunch of options for, I don't know, cowboys and Indians, uh, bank robbers and, and marshals, uh, contemporary historical, that sort of thing. When you dig down into the deepest of those categories, you will always have an option up at the top right of your screen for filtering the results. And one of the filters that you will be that you will be presented with when you finally get down into the into the weeds like that will be a filter to sort the books that have popped up from price lowest to highest. And if you hit that filter, you will encounter Dozens and dozens and dozens of full-length ebooks that are free. The author has just decided, for whatever reason, maybe this is just a marketing gimmick, maybe it's temporary, or maybe it fits with their vision of what they want to do. Maybe they just want to reach an audience. That's all. Maybe they don't even want money. They just want to reach readers. One way or another, whatever the reason is, you'll encounter dozens and dozens of books that are free. Not, not all of them are new, but they will be exposure to authors and dreams that you would not have encountered otherwise. And maybe one of those authors will be really good. Maybe maybe many of them will be. I am haunted by that possibility. And so I regularly go on exploring trips just on Amazon's Kindle, just on the bookstore, not on Kindle Unlimited. I will just go looking for the free books that actually litter Amazon, a company that is renowned for its ability to turn a buck. There are countless free books on Amazon if you have the patience to go looking for them. And I found a few that I want to tell you about just briefly here uh, as we wind up for the weekend. Like, for instance, there's one here. I, I'm using my tablet, so there'll be a bit of a pause while I get it to disgorge the information. Uh, there's one book here by Ruth Ann Norton, N-O-R-D-I-N, called The Most Unsuitable Earl. It's the second book in her Marriage by Scandal series of Regency romances. Full length, a full, uh, a full color cover. Looks just like any other Regency romance, but it's free for whatever reason. Right now, as I make this, uh, this podcast, it's free. Uh, and it is the story of Ethan Silverton, the Lord of Edon, E-D-O-N, who is very content with his life. He's carefully sculpted it so that everyone thinks he's a notorious rake. For years, he's worked hard to build his reputation to secure his place as the most undesirable bachelor in London. And it worked. No decent lady will have him. But one simple error in judgment has sealed his fate. His intention was to dissuade a hard mother from matching him with her equally hard daughter. Seeing no one but Lady Catherine without a dance partner, he tells her a lie. He approaches Lady Catherine as if they were betrothed, and the ploy works. The hard mother and her daughter abandon their pursuit of him. But Ethan's mother agrees, his, uh, espies his ploy, and is so relieved that she's found a way to, man to marry him to a reputable young lady that she tells everyone of their engagement. To his horror, word spreads, that, and it's his duty to see the lie through. <laughs> so he's trapped in a marriage. That sounds like fun. And that is a full-length book, and there's no one looking over my shoulder telling me when I should return it. Uh, and then uh, another example that comes to mind, I try always to look for first books in series, but I've actually read the first book in that, in that romance series, so the second book is no hardship to me. But I try looking for first books, especially if it's the author's debut, to get a sense of what they're like. Uh, 
when they're laying out the table with their best goods. And another one is a first book. It's book one. It's science fiction this time around. It's book one in uh, Pillars of Fire and Light series. Book one is called Fall to Earth, and it's by Ken Britz, B-R-I-T-Z. Um, and its description goes a little like this. A desperate athlete, a super soldier experiment, will cutting-edge technology change the world or destroy it? Uh Indiana Beckham's lifelong goal has been has just been cut down. Banned from competing in Olympic fencing, she jumps at the chance to join a research project that could make her the uh, the best. I assume that means the best at fencing. Uh, but to unlock the promise of her unlimited potential, Indiana must endure a risky, life-altering transformation. Lieutenant Arthur McGraben has a mission: advance humanity in a single generation. Eager to provide his neurotechnology, he ignores the dangers and recruits his first live test subject. But when Indiana's enhanced abilities turn deadly, he'll have to keep a shocking secret to fuel his twisted dream. As Indiana harnesses her super skills, the project and its subjects teeter on the edge of termination. Now, dug out of the bowels of Amazon or not, free or not, self-published or not, tell me that doesn't sound entertaining. It might be very good. I'm certainly willing to give it a try, especially since, uh, as the saying goes, the price is right. And I'll give you one more, one more example here. Uh, this is a book called uh, The Yakuza Path, Bloodstained Tea. It's by Amy Tasukata. I believe it's a debut, but I could be wrong about that. But it sounded fascinating. It, it, the description is this. Uh, now hides from, that's N-A-O, hides from his violent past in the Japanese mob by opening a tea house in Japan's cultural center, Kyoto. His past comes flooding back when he discovers a gravely injured man with a tattooed chest, a bloody knife, and a Korean business card. Seiyun would have died if not for Nao's help. He knows nothing of his saver's connection to local mafia, but Seiyun has secrets of his own. He commands the Korean mafia, the mortal enemy of Nao's former syndicate. As now and Seun grow closer, so does the strength of the Korean mob. A shocking murder pulls now back into a past he'd all but abandoned. War is looming, and uh, now must choose between protecting Seun or avenging the honor of his old mafia family. The Yakuza Path, Bloodstained Tea, is the first book in a series of Japanese mafia thrillers. If you like complex characters, blood-soaked violence, and twists you won't see coming, then you'll love Amy T Tasukata's gritty crime masterpiece. Now, I don't know if Bloodstained Tea is a masterpiece, but it certainly sounds like the fulfillment of someone's dream. That's the place, the, the exact place you are going when you explore in this territory. You are mapping your way through dreams. Dreams that have not been tempered and crushed and blunted by the eight different gatekeeping hoops that these authors would have had to go through if they'd gone the, the tra traditional publishing route. Instead, They've done it themselves. They've seized on their own dreams to do this, and their books are free. So you, I can explore and see if their books are any good, <laughs> which is exactly what I love to do. It's not just my job. It's also my passion. <laughs> so, so that is going to be part of what I do this weekend in reading. Now, it doesn't have to be the weekend for me, because every day is a reading day for me, but... If you are one of the remaining people who does look forward to the weekend for un unstructured time, including unstructured reading time, I might advise that you go on one of these exploratory trips yourself. Give a look to see what... It doesn't have to be Amazon. Every internet, every, every uh, internet book provider will have free content. 
it doesn't have to be new books either. It doesn't have to be living, publishing, striving authors. There are plenty of classics that are available. We'll touch on that in another episode of Steve Don of the D Steve Donahue Show. For today, I merely wanted to outline the, the the old style impulse I have to do weekend reading. In addition to new books, forthcoming books that aren't out yet, and in addition to the unending wasteland of the Stormlight Archives, which I shouldn't describe that way because it is very, very good. Those of you who maybe have been looking at these great bricks of Brandon Sanderson fantasy novels and wondering if they're worth your time, they are. They're just a massive undertaking. Uh, but in addition to that, I will be doing some exploring. <laughs> I will be encountering authors. Probably some of these, most of these books are probably a couple of years old. But I mean, I'll be encountering authors that I would never have found any other way and seeing if they've got the chops. See if I, if I want to find them. The ideal response at finishing one of the books that I just mentioned, and there are half a dozen others that have my eye, the ideal response when I finish with reading one of those books will be for me to finish it and say, I want to find out what this author is doing right now and read it. <laughs> and that is the dream all of these authors had in the first place. Let my words do the work. Just give me a chance to find an audience and I will do the rest. Well... That's fine by me, and I'm willing to do it. I set aside time on most weekends, and I'd, I'd urge you to do the same. Uh, but no matter, no matter what, if you've had a rough week and you just want to kick back and not read at all this weekend, that's fine. You take the days off, and we will resume talking about all things bookish on Monday when the Steve Donahue Show returns. <laughs> Until then, have a wonderful weekend, and enjoy your reading. The Steve Donahue Show is a production of CPL Radio, a service of the Cedarburg Public Library located in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.